we've seen everybody's life on the Zoom screen. You see my son interrupt me a hundred times. You see my bedroom where I work. And I think in the beginning, a lot of us were turning off our video and muting the sound because we knew intellectually that we were going to pay the cost of you seeing our mothering. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Welcome to our Mother's Day episode of Skimmed from the Couch. Our guest today is Reshma Sajani. She is the founder of Girls Who Code, and today we're going to talk about working moms. Over the past year, we have seen just how devastating this pandemic has been for women who are losing their jobs and dropping out of the labor force at alarming numbers. Reshma has proposed a Marshall Plan for moms to get women back to work and to create sustainable solutions for working women in the future. Reshma, thank you so much for coming back on the couch with us today. This is actually your second time on the show. First, I think that's the first time we've ever had anyone twice. So a lot of a, lo- a lot of history happening, but really, really excited to dig in here. Excited to be here. You know, I love everything you're doing and I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you. Well, first of all, as we kind of set up here just now, we just spent 10 minutes both like moving locations, setting up our Zoom, changing headphones, changing voice note record. How are you? <laughs> like, how has this year been for you? You know, it's been rough, right? It's been rough. And I think we're in this strange moment now where you know there's a shift, but I think everybody I know feels really off and having a hard time like readjusting to whatever that new normal is. And I've been like, you know, meditating on it. And I think for me, it's just, I don't feel as motivated as I felt before. Like I need an adrenaline rush. You know, I think working with my kids under my feet, I feel like I just need to be in a space in a place where I don't constantly have sensory overload because that's really what I'm struggling with. Yeah. And also you mentioned your kids as we were setting up here, you know, I feel like we've all lost sense of time, but it feels like, at least for me, you like just had your youngest child. Honestly, if you had told me he was three months old, they'd be like, yeah, you just had him, but you just informed me he's now 14 months old, which is basically as long as we've been home. <laughs> How have your two kids adjusted differently? Cause you have your oldest is like five, right? Yeah. So like my oldest is six now. He turned six just recently. And, you know, we've had like two days of in-person school, sometimes one, sometimes none. So he's been, you know, on Zoom school for most of like his, for all of his kindergarten. And that has been rough. He's loved it because he's a little bit of an introvert. And so the idea of being able to like do school in his pajamas, go downstairs and get his banana muffin and have like mommy and daddy everywhere is amazing. Sucks for us. I think my littlest one who is now 14 months, this is all he's known. And so, you know, he never got to be passed around from human to human. Last week, I took him to a music class in the park. You know what I mean? For like the first time, you know, he's got no friends. By the time Sean was 14 months, like he had a whole crew in the neighborhood, you know, size got nothing. So I think it's been a really, really, really strange year, but I do believe that children are resilient. So I think I'm having a harder time, quite frankly, than either one of them are. 
your career has been really marked by how you've looked to solve the gender gap in tech. But now you're really looking to improve the gender gap for working parents. I want you to sort of set the stage for us. What have you been observing nationally and anecdotally that has led you to take this on? Yeah, so I didn't think I'd be doing this or fighting or building this movement. When I started 2020, I had uh, just had a newborn baby and I had a baby via surrogate. So I was really looking forward to my maternity leave so I can actually bond with my son. And the organization Girls Code was in a place where uh, my, you know, my trusted then COO was gonna like take it on. And I was really not going to pick up the phone, answer an email, do anything except like just like nest with my baby. And then COVID-19 happened and I canceled my maternity leave when Cy was a few weeks old. I had to homeschool my then five-year-old and I had to save my global girls nonprofit from an economic crisis. Because as you know, when crisis is hit, the first organizations to suffer are the ones that are serving women and girls. And I got COVID-19, but it barely registered because I was working 16 hours a day. My liver failed. I got acne on my face as if I was 16 years old. And I was just ending every day just done. But, you know, Carly, as I looked at my Zoom screen, every mom, every woman looked exactly how I felt. And as we talked about it, we all said, you know what? Let's grin and bear it. When September comes and the schools open, we'll have reprieve. Well, September came and with less than two weeks notice, we found out that schools are closed. And someone, a bunch of men, came up with this hybrid you know, model or this Zoom school model where the default caretaker, which is in 86% of households, a woman, a mom, you know, was going to have to log her kid onto Zoom at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, all the while maintaining her full-time job and doing the laundry and the cooking and the cleaning and everything else that came in between. And I think the thing that I felt at that moment was like, wow, like they didn't even think about us. Like as they, you know, measured the cost of the HVAC equipment and keeping teachers safe, they never even thought about us. They never thought about, well, what are, what are, what are these moms going to do? How are they going to maintain their job? I mean, daycares are shut. You can't ask your grandparent to come over and look after your kid because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And the thought that a decision could be made that so radically affected our lives and we wouldn't even be thought of terrified me. And so the next thought I had after like, what the F was, where's the plan? Like someone's got to have a plan, right? Like where's the plan? Because at that point, some of the numbers were trickling out. We saw that women's labor market participation was where it was in 1989, that we had lost 30 years of progress in nine months. And in fact, the December 2020 jobs report, all the jobs lost were women, all of them. And there was no plan. The administration wasn't putting out a plan. The Republicans were putting out a plan. The private sector wasn't putting out a plan. There was no plan. And so I wrote an op-ed in many ways out of anger and frustration, which is like, we need a Marshall plan for moms. And here's my idea of like the couple things that we should offer mothers in this moment. And the idea of the campaign has gone viral. And months later, we have two bills introduced in Congress, several bills introduced in the state. You know, we've ignited a national conversation. And I think we've like really tapped into this populist mom's rage, which are saying, you know, we're not America's social safety net. We do not work for free. There's so much in what you just said. First of all, I had no idea you had COVID. So I'm, I'm so glad that you are doing okay now. And I think 
how you sort of began what you were saying of just like the level of exhaustion, the level of exasperation is something that all of us can relate to in different capacities. And all of us have been on a Zoom with our colleagues and have seen that same look. Give us a brief skim primer on what the Marshall Plan actually was so that people who maybe haven't done U.S. history in in many years have, have a better idea of what you're referencing. So the Marshall Plan was put out after the war when the world was under siege. And, you know, we were fundamentally broken and savage by World War II. And it was the idea of like having a bold economic recovery plan to get Americans back to work. What's interesting is because we were so reliant in World War II on women's labor, that plan included paid sick days and included some of the things that we're talking about now. So when I thought about like how I think many mothers felt in this moment is that, that literally everything has been blown up around them. And if we're going to build America back better, we have to build motherhood back better. And so what does that look like? And so as I like surveyed my PTA moms, you know, and talked to the mothers and the working mothers in my life and said, well, what do you need? There are four or five things I kept hearing. And the one thing was, is we need cash. We need basic income payments for mothers because every mother's situation at this moment was different, right? Like some moms needed money to pay the mortgage. Some moms needed money to put food on the table. Some moms needed money to pay for a tutor, right? But cash was a very important thing that many moms needed. And we'll talk about the controversy of offering mother's cash in a minute. The second thing I kept hearing was that the structural changes and those were, you know, paid sick days and affordable childcare. The United States is one of the few nations that doesn't offer paid leave. And if you think about if people had paid leave and paid sick days in those early months in February and in in March, we wouldn't have lost as many of our fellow country men and women. And so living in a country where you sometimes you have a child and you have to go back to work the next day is insane. We also live in a nation where we don't have affordable childcare. You know, my parents were refugees and I was a, a latchkey kid since I was eight because they couldn't afford the $50 a week for childcare. And so many parents and mothers at this moment are in the same boat, right? And they piece kind of childcare together so that, you know, so to make it work. The other piece of this plan was that one of the reasons why we lost those 2.3 million jobs is that many women, mothers found themselves in jobs that weren't pandemic proof, like retail, healthcare, education, and those jobs weren't coming back. And so if 70% of low-income families are run by single breadwinners, which are women and often women of color, when they lose their job, the entire family suffers. So we needed to have a plan to retrain those mothers so the entire family doesn't fall into poverty. So you just hit on what I was. my next question was, which is I want to hear a little bit of what you really saw in this past year around how single parents and women of color in particular are being affected by the state of our workforce today, and then obviously how the pandemic really brought that to light further. I mean, I think they're being devastated, devastated. I mean, women of color lost twice as many jobs as white women. You know, for single moms who have like, again, no social safety net to support them when crisis is like this happened, they're barely hanging on. And they're, they're being asked every day to make sacrifices that are just unfair. I've talked to single moms who were studying to be a nurse and they were Uber driving on the side. 
And when the schools shut down, they had no choice, right? But to like let go of their dreams to take care of their kids because every mom will always choose her children over her. And what's interesting, Carly, is we nerd out on these numbers and talk about these numbers. We never talk about who are those women? What were their dreams? You know, when I wrote this op-ed, it was so crazy because I got hit on the right and the left. And it's really, it was really interesting about what people were saying about what the visceral feeling about it was. So on the right, people were saying, well, we don't need a Marshall Plan for moms because mother is a choice. When you become a mom, you don't get any nice things. You know what I mean? You don't get childcare. You don't get affordable daycare. You get nothing. It's your problem. And we live in this kind of country with like rugged individualism where we think again, like we don't have to support you. And we, what we don't recognize on that sense is that we had 300,000 less births this year in a society that doesn't produce children, doesn't produce the next generation, is a failing society. And so it, it, we do have to think about what we are offering and supporting parents. On the left, the criticism was, well, if you pay mothers, they won't go back to work. And it was really that kind of critique that I found really interesting and that I'm starting to kind of dig into and am writing more about is this idea about this real reluctance, this historical reluctance about valuing unpaid labor, because in many ways our worth as women, as, as feminists, is only worth anything in the workplace. And I think that that is wrong. Well, I want to dig into that because, you know, I, I read a lot of the the criticism that came out after your op-ed and one of which was that, you know, what you just touched on is like, we shouldn't have to pay a woman to be a mother. And that that felt to people like something out of like the 1950s. We're saying like, she's the breadwinner. We're saying she's getting a seat at the table. She's the vice president. And then now we're saying, no, she, she's the mom at home. And I'm really curious, like, what was your reaction to that? I was shocked, but I'm not surprised, right? Because remember, I'm the woman who started Girls Who Code. And when I started Girls Who Code, and I'm sure you faced this too, Carly, it was like, well, why girls? Why not everybody? Shouldn't boys learn how to code? And I spent years explaining that, yes, but we have to fix the problem as it is and meet the world as it is and not the way that we want it to be. And simply by, quote, calling it Marshall Plan for Parents doesn't acknowledge the fact that 86% of household work is done by mothers doesn't change the fact that the vast majority of kids that have been affected in this pandemic are young black girls who have not been able to log on to school because they've been asked to do housework and caretaking. So it's like invariably these responsibilities always fall on women. And to think that that doesn't have consequences on us raising our hand for that promotion, studying to be that nurse, going to college, it's just crazy. And I think that like the opportunity that we have here and the conversation that I want to have is we've spent a lot of time, a lot of HBR articles on like how women can succeed in the work and why they need a mentor and a sponsor. And, but we really haven't spent a lot of time talking about how do we get to 50-50 in the home? And until we do, what support are we willing to give mothers in this moment, in this time, while we change our social norms, while we change our laws, while we change culture. You've rattled off a lot of stats that are, you know, many of which I've read and some of which I hadn't heard. Of all the stats that you've 
read and researched this past year, which one stands out to you the most is just the most staggering? You know what terrifies me the most is the fact that our labor market participation is where it was in 1989. And the reason why I say that is, you know, I started Girls Who Code because I wanted to get to gender parity in the workforce. And what we forget about women in coding and women in engineering is we were almost at parity in the 1980s. In the 1980s, 37% of the technology workforce was female. I didn't know that. Yep. When I started Girls Who Code, it was 18. And now we've slowly climbed to 22. So when you lose that kind of ground, it's not an on and off switch. I mean, you know, you and I, we've done so much work to get more women in tech, to get more kids in tech. And it's still a slow, slow, slow walk. So similarly here, when people talk about, well, we we got a vaccine, you know, we're going to open up the schools. Everything's going to be great. It's not true. The loss that we have suffered as women in the workforce is horrifying and horrible. And as an entrepreneur, you know, unless you got some KPIs, you know what I mean? Unless you got me a business plan of exactly how we're gonna get back, we are not gonna get back for 30, 40, 50 years at best. My heart is racing listening to you say this. You mentioned that there are a number of bills with lawmakers right now. Do you think like that there actually will be a Marshall Plan passed for moms? Like, what do you think is going to be the next step that will help accelerate that recovery so that we don't have to wait 30 to 40 years? Well, it's funny. I mean, one of the things that I've been saying to the White House for a while now is just, just say the word. Just say mothers. Just say moms. Just acknowledge who has borne the brunt of this pandemic. Because you can't fix something unless you acknowledge it. And I do think that the language has shifted and the the focus on women and the focus on mothers has shifted. And I really applaud this administration for having a big vision, you know, and talking about care as infrastructure. And I think the, the work that we not have to do and everybody listening to this conversation needs to do, regardless of whether you're a mother, because it affects you. Because one day you might become a mother or you have a mother or your friend might be a mother or your aunt, whoever, right? It affects all of us, men and women parents and non-parents, is that we just have to think boldly and we have to ask for it all. And that means that we have to shift structures, meaning we need to have a system where we do have affordable childcare. And it's not crazy. Estonia has it. Norway has it. Sweden has it. Germany has it. There are places where you have a child and you get diapers and milk, you know, and then, and you can stay home for a couple of years. And guess what? When you come back, you are welcomed into the workforce. We know that when you even take a year off, you lose almost 39% of your income. That we have, in, again, in this culture, we have, and there's so many, and we need to fix this about AI, that when you apply for a job immediately, you know, AI says, oh, a year gone, out, your resume is spit out. So there's so many, like, again, norms and changes and shifts that we have to make to kind of normalize this. And so there's a lot that we have in front of us. And I think that we have to hit it on all fronts. We had to hit, had to hit it on policy, which is what the Biden administration is doing. We got to hit it in culture. You know, we have to shift what it means to be a mother and the cultural conversation around it. And mom can't be martyr anymore. You know, and we have to shift the workplace. Like we know there's a motherhood penalty. We know as we're, that only 7% of American dads take parental leave. So it doesn't matter if you offer it, but you work at Goldman Sachs and, and we want the guy who's, you know, taking his kid to Little League. But if you take paternal leave, forget about making MD. And that's exactly what's happening 
right, in workplaces all across the country. So I do think we have a lot of work to do. I'm hopeful because I think that this has opened up a conversation that we can have. I want to talk beyond policy. And you've mentioned in in the past the motherhood penalty that women face at work, and, and you sort of were just referencing it. Can you just better explain like what that actually means? Yeah, I mean, I think from a pay perspective, I think it's like 17 cents on every dollar that a father makes over a mother for the exact same job. I think they say, you know, we have a fatherhood premium. We want to hire dads, but we have motherhood penalties. I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this call have been asked, when are you planning to have kids? Are you planning to have kids? Like, And that's not seen as a good thing. That's seen as like, I don't know if I'm going to hire you. You know, one of the things that I think I get nervous about in this moment is, as you've seen, we've seen everybody's life on the Zoom screen. You see my son interrupt me a hundred times. You see my bedroom where I work. And I think in the beginning, a lot of us were turning off our video and muting the sound because we knew intellectually that we were going to pay the cost of you seeing our mothering. And, you know, I really question whether now that you've seen my life and the work that I do, the extra unvalued, unpaid labor that I do at home, whether employers are walking around right now being, ugh, I got to hire a mom. By the way, great cue that your baby is crying right now. I I see it. Good multitasking. (laughs) I know. I think that it is daunting. Like everything you're saying, I'm like sitting here, like I'm nodding as as an executive, I'm nodding as just a woman in business. I'm nodding as a woman. And I'm also nodding as somebody who doesn't have a family yet, but like I hope to one day. And it's daunting to think about how do you create change in a system. Now, obviously, if you're in a position to be an executive, there are policy changes you can make within your own company. And that's something at the skim, Danielle and I, you know, really tried to create a company with policies that reflected where we would want to work. But if you're not an executive, if you're listening to this, like what are the steps that we can each take to help in this, to help get rid of this not so invisible penalty and kind of the unspokenness around it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to be putting out a Marshall Plan for Moms at work. And I've been, we've been thinking and talking a lot about like, as we're thinking about what the new normal is, what does that look like? And when you do policies that benefit moms, I think you have policies that benefit everyone, right? And I, I do think we have to move towards a world where we offer subsidized childcare. It's kind of crazy, right? That we, we pay to free, freeze your eggs, but when you have your children, we don't offer much support. So I think we have to get to a place where we're thinking about both sides of the pendulum because the data is clear that when you invest in early education, that's good for society. So it's good for all of us. For those who are currently a working parent, mom, dad, however they identify, and they feel like they are struggling right now because everyone is at home and everyone is dealing with all different sorts of stress. How would you advise them to communicate their needs to their bosses or colleagues? I think that we have to organize around it. We have to be collective. We have to be honest about what it is that we need. And then we have to start talking to one another. Like, I do think moms should be organizing. Parents should be organizing together at the workplace and coming up with their ideas of what they think that they need. What should flexibility look like? What should remote working look like? Do we need to have different hours? What are the types of benefits that we think are attractive? I think we hold a lot of power right now as mothers and as parents. And I think that we just have to be really clear in asking for it and recognizing too, you know, the other thing, Carly, I've been thinking a lot about is one of the other changes is we should be getting compensated for the unpaid labor that we do at work, 
Who are the ones that are organizing the DNI sessions? Who are the ones that are organizing the book clubs? Who's organizing the speakers? Women, people of color. But when it comes time to promotion, are those things that your employer looks at and says, you know what, I'm going to give you a raise because you organized the holiday Christmas party. And that means that you really helped build our culture. So I think that it's just a moment for us to rebuild things back, look at our workplaces, you know, and figure out like, what do we need to be successful? And what do we need to be healthy? I mean, the other thing that I really want us to really push and have a conversation on is this unpaid labor. What can companies actually do to encourage more, you know, gender parity in the home? Are we celebrating men when they come into the office on the Monday meeting and be like, ah, I spend my weekend doing loads of laundry, you know, and actually just, again, encouraging us to get out of the existing gender norms and create something that's just different and more equal and more just. So for those of us who, whether we're a manager or just a colleague and don't have kids yet, what are the questions that we should be asking of our colleagues, of our employees, who are parents around how we can best support? I think it's, how are you doing? What do you need? How can I support you? And I think it's being genuine about it, right? Because in some ways, I think what's happened is in the beginning, people were really supportive and now we're kind of over it, right? And I think it is really about recognizing and understanding and it being okay with the fact that parents are dealing with a different burden right now. We're all suffering. We're all, you and I were talking about this, we're all struggling. It's a hard time, especially for our mental health. And it's okay that one segment of our community is facing a little, even more stress, even more anxiety. And that doesn't take away anything from you or you know, if you don't have a child, if you're not a parent. Because again, I think if we build more empathy, if we build a culture that, you know, again, like I say, a sisterhood that is supporting people who are going through it, I think you're just gonna build a better community for everyone. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you said the words mental health. Everything you're talking about sort of as a crisis this year, kind of underneath all of that is we're also in a mental health crisis. How have you personally navigated this this past year? I think we're all, you know, trying to find sanity in different ways. And what has been helpful for you? I mean, my mental health has not been great. Part of it is because I've always prided myself on having a very strong mental composition. Like I'm the one everyone's like, I don't know how you do it, Reshma. You know, five miscarriages, I didn't even know, right? Like I, I deal with, dealt with a lot of trauma and I'm able to rebound. And so I have, especially over the past year, I've been the three o'clock in the morning phone call. You know, my friends who are going through divorces or suffering from addiction, I'm the person they call. So I'm often carrying so much. And I would say sometimes I feel like I spend half my days and nights being a therapist. And I take pride in that identity too. But I do feel like, especially recently, it's really, it's, you know, it's getting to me. And I've been trying to figure out like, what are my, you know, I I'm, I'm an athletic person. So I think really being sacred about my workouts in the morning, being sacred about my night routines, my humidifier and my magnesium oil and my, you know, CBD gummies. Right. But I, I have to constantly check in with myself and to like tell people, Hey, you know, I'm kind of feeling sad. Will you have dinner with me? 
or like, you know, you want to watch a movie with me? Like, or to my son, I need that extra snuggle, right? Because I think even for someone like me, who again, prides himself on having a very strong mental composition, it's been rough. It's interesting, you know, we started this podcast, we mentioned the word resilience. And I have found in this past year, and talking just to friends and colleagues, we've said, oh, well, kids are really resilient or like, I'm really resilient. And I think it's almost been like a scapegoat of like, you're resilient, you'll be fine. And not actually bringing to the surface of like, no, like this is not normal what we're all going through. And we all are having really bad days and really bad moments. And I'm curious if there is something that you learned about yourself this year as, you know, a woman who's the CEO of many things and many movements that just surprised you the most? Uh, so I feel like I learned so much about myself. You know, I, I did something really hard this year. I decided to step down as CEO of Girls Who Code. And that was not the plan when I started at the beginning of the year. I've always felt like I was, it was, I was in the timetable. Like I was going to step off whether it was this year or next year. But I was really feeling like as I was looking at the world crashing down, that I needed to make a change, you know, and I've learned in making that change, that change is hard, that I was accustomed to a certain life and a schedule. And I, part of, I thrive on habit and rituals. And so like taking myself out of that comfort zone was terrifying, but really necessary. For those of us listening, like what is the one step that each of us can take to help this movement? I think, you know, don't be afraid to tear it all down and build it back up. Like think out of the box. If you were a mom, you know, if you're not a mom, if you were a mom, what would you want? And if you are a mom and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're tired, what do you need? And if you're an ally, what can you do differently? What's your role in changing gender norms about who does what? I'm going to move into our, our lightning round. You've done this before. Rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Last TV show you binge watched? Who Killed Sarah? Oh, what's that? Murder's right up my alley. Tell me more. And Netflix. Excellent. Binge watch it today. Oh, done tonight. That's my plan. What is the most used app on your phone? Spotify. What is a language you wish you could speak? French. First trip you're going to book when everything comes down? Italy. What's your best work from home parenting hack? M&M's right next to my workspace. Okay. We have a lot in common. Restaurant, thank you so much for the work you are doing and congratulations. And just really happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 